1: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: A word of warning. This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today we're doing part two of my conversation with Kathy Oddie. Now, if you haven't already, please go back to the last episode and listen to part one, otherwise you're going to have absolutely no idea what we're talking about in this conversation. But for now, let's kick it straight back into the conversation with Kathy. Cheers.
3: But part of his abuse was the fact that um, that where perpetrator one, I wanted to walk out the door multiple occasions and he was preventing me from walking out the door. Perpetrator two was constantly threatening that he was going to walk out the door. Yeah. Um, and in a guess, a way like it's funny, I look now and go, when someone tells you or shows you what they're like, you should believe him the first time. Well, when he kept telling me he was going to walk out the door, well, when he eventually did, and even though it blindsided me at the time, well, I guess he'd been telling me that for six and a half years, so yeah. Um, yeah, it really shouldn't have come as much of a shock as what it did at the time. But
2: but it is something, and you know, often um, people negate domestic abuse if in the absence of physical violence. And I think one thing I've spoken to so many survivors, yourself included, about is that the physical abuse wasn't anywhere near as bad as the longstanding effects of the mental torture. And I think, you know, you hear that from you and my heart just, you know, breaks for you. It is because it just you don't just get over that. You don't just come to a point where you're just like, that's fine. You know, the relationship's over. I've put it to the side. What's it been like for you, you know, having to overcome that and having to even now years later move on from that mentally?
3: Oh, well, it's a very slow process and it's a constant battle every day. I look in the mirror.
2: Yeah. And it's, you know, obviously you're quite upset and triggered by that Um and I'm sorry, but I think it's something that we hear so much and we value ourselves sometimes so so little. And you are absolutely beautiful and amazing. And I know that inside you know that and most days you you do know that, but it's so hard to be at that point, you know. And I was talking to somebody the other day about this and you don't just get to a point and you're healed and that's just done. You get to a point where you're okay to deal with adversity that comes your way in your own way, but it doesn't mean that it's not difficult to go back through those and it doesn't mean that they don't affect you anymore.
3: Well, I mean, I'm not someone who's, uh, in terms of growing up, my ideas of where I saw myself as an adult were probably fairly heteronormative standard sort of dreams. I really wanted the know that picket fence married with kids sort of future in my life is I, I couldn't imagine that there would never be a future in my life that didn't have being in a happy marriage with children it's just inconceivable I there was no other option that I was thinking of that was always what it was going to be that I'd have a good job with a loving partner with kids yeah and you no know, perpetrator too knew that I wanted to have stability in my life after all the upheaval Um, and yet again this was part of his psychological abuse because from his perspective was like well you know being that bit younger he's like well I'm not ready to settle down in that way yet so I was being very understanding of that but then on the flip side when it would come to the abuse aspect it would be like well Oh God, I can't marry you until you lose, um, you know, this amount of weight. And I'd have to—he'd be putting that I'd have to reach what his goal weight for me would be, which at the time would have been losing twenty kilos. Oh um, God. and that would be something that he'd say on a regular basis. And so it puts an incredible amount of pressure on. And the thing was, it's like there's nothing wrong with wanting to. Support your partner to live a a happy, healthy lifestyle, but that 's not the way that he was going about this like honestly, when he knew that I was you know going through periods of depression. Um, which also would make me not want to be active because when I'm feeling depressed, I go into a kind of like a frozen state, and I it's really hard for me to get movement happening. That's why things like trauma sensitive yoga and Pilates are so great because it gets you to integrate the the mindfulness and meditation with the movement. Yeah. Um, and I'd explain all of these things to him, and the best thing he could have done is be gently supportive and say you no. Know, let's no take the dog for a walk together somewhere nice but he wouldn't because like his job was out where he's being active um doing landscape gardening you know very fit you know very attractive person sort of those model good looks um and he knew it um but I'm doing a role in my, my job where I'm sitting behind a desk, so I'm not getting the opportunity to be as active. And then when I've got these, you know, physical injuries and um, not feeling so good about myself, that rather than him being in a way that could have been really beautiful and supportive, he'd sit there and consume, you know, sweets and chips and all these things and I, I wouldn't be having those things because I'm not wanting to, you know, aggravate my circumstances I'm trying to actively do what I can to stay fit and healthy Um, but rather than him actually supporting the changes and things that I would do to sort of do the best for my health in those moments he would just constantly be putting me down and it always made me feel like I wasn't enough for him I wasn't good enough for him and this was really compounded to when no because we loved going out to um, different electronic music events together. Being that little bit older um, than the general scene of people that go out to these things, you've got um, the young women in particular wearing very skimpy outfits. Um, Absolutely all power to them. Not going to body shame anyone. I think it's amazing when people feel the confidence to get out and shake their groove thing and, you know, wear whatever they want. But in terms of from a male perspective, it like he was constantly perving at these as young women, constantly making sexually suggestive comments, you no, know, and suggesting that, you no, know, wouldn't it be great to bring someone home and you know have a threesome or that sort of thing? And I'm just like by this stage of a relationship, it's like, well, no, I don't want to bring anyone else into this. And there's no, we've got enough of our own stuff to deal with introducing anyone else is is not going to make this any less complicated. Any and and it's also get again, again that thing of well what statement you're making to me right now is that I'm not enough for you. Yeah. And and that you're out, you know, wanting to play the field. Um, what I now know is that for a lot longer like, no, I became in that final year where after the relationship ended that he was having an affair, but when I look back now and have the information that I now have is that, yeah, he, he had been doing things with other women for a lot longer. Yeah, And so that's putting me at risk for my sexual health because yeah. um, he's not being open and honest about this. Um, But also, too, from a sexual assault perspective, there would be often times when he would come back from being out for days at a time and being in an intoxicated state or under the influence of something, and he would want to have his sexual needs met. And I I didn't necessarily want to do the things that he wanted to do in that moment. Um, And the pressure he would place on me and just knowing the way that he would become if he didn't have that need met I felt just very beaten down and like it that it was easier to do the thing meet the need rather than having to deal with him switching from being in that sort of pleading state um, to turning into the absolute monster awful bastard state um, where he would be really cruel and then having me put me down and all those sort of things that, you know, that he would do. And I, in a sense it was easier just to just get it over and done, like that whole, that expression of lie there and think of England sort of situation but yeah, not getting was, any yeah. enjoyment. Yeah. Like there'd be times like he, he didn't notice but I'd be there crying while he was doing what he wanted to do.
2: Yeah. And it's um, just broken you down over such a long period of time to To not, to know that to survive, or to know that in this situation, it's either going to be the begging or the abuse, or I can comply. And that's your, you know, you're making a judgment call on what's best for you in that moment, not what's best for you. That's probably the wrong way to put it. But in order to avoid those other two circumstances, this is your trauma response. You know, you're fawning in the situation, to compl- mm. you're complying with him because that's the best way for you to survive in this moment right now. And yes. that's awful and terrible. And, you know, what you're saying is just so heartbreaking because it was so prolonged and you can just see how much it's it's so profoundly affected you. And for you to still be in a position where you're the one that has the financial um, implications from this relationship, the burden of the financial abuse and and the burden of not having your dream and he's off living his life, that's just fucking bullshit.
3: Well, what sort of escalated from there? So basically once he got his partner visa, permanent resident all, all that, he could work legitimately and he went on to getting a legitimate landscape gardening job where he was on the books, um, his pay rate, went up significantly. So like he was contributing to what was his half of um, the rent and bills. I'll certainly give him credit for that. He gave me the money each week um, for that. But the fact was that if we just had those sort of costs, it would be okay. But he was wanting to live outside of our means. He was wanting to go to all the events, to eat at the, no the, the expensive restaurants, have the nights out at five-star hotels, do the overseas trips and things like that, which honestly, given the set of circumstances that had happened since we met with him being on low income, me needing type out of work, all the savings that I'd had before I met him went. Um, Then that's when the debt started coming in. So it's like taking out loans and credit cards and accepting the extensions on limits just to, it wasn't, and people ask me, now, oh, well, what was the debt for? Well, this is the thing. It wasn't even anything exciting. Most of it was actually about being able to afford the monthly rent and bills. Yeah. Um, but because he demanded to have a lifestyle where, you know, God forbid he should get bored at any stage. So he never would adjust his lifestyle to what our budget was at the time he had he would pay his half share of just the standard expenses but he still wanted to do all these things and effectively you know, it was well i'm going to go and do these things um if you can't afford i'm just going to go anyway yeah so like it got to the point by the end of our relationship that he's you know um indulging his alcohol and drug addictions he he now has like a gambling addiction which I was to find out after the relationship ended when I reviewed bank accounts. And the other thing was his online shopping addiction. So on the one hand, where any extra cent I would have would go towards keeping a roof over our head and um, paying for bills and food, Um, I would constantly sacrifice my own needs. So I'd have like my Socks and underwear would be getting holes in them. I wasn't buying any new things for me, or if I was, it was most bargain basement thing, Um, whereas he'd be getting deliveries of designer goods often delivered to the house. Um, And it was that thing of his money was his money after he felt he'd made his contribution to the bills, but my money was our money in yep. that sense because he got used to it being that way. Um, so he was never covering any shortfall. So where I'd cover his shortfall during those times when his income was lower, at the times when I needed time out for me, he never would cover that. Um, and so ultimately this snowball of debt growing and growing and growing, so there were these multiple bits and pieces of things with this bank and that bank and you know, one credit card here and one credit card there, um by 2016 well actually 2015 was when I you know said this is just getting out of control we need to actually do something about you know reining this all in um and I'd started I'd moved on from Centrelink and started working in the finance sector so I'm like right I've got this new full-time role you're working full-time on the books now let's get on top of this let's get all these little bits and pieces and put them into the one joint loan. And even though they're, at that point in time there was close to $70,000 worth of debt, My unfortunately gosh. the the limit of what we could go for in one combined loan was $50,000. So yeah. that was what was um, the joint loan application ended up being for, even though there was actually more debt than that. Yeah. And so... A year later, um, here's me thinking I'm going to be in this relationship where there's going to be both of us who will be able to contribute to this but yet again because of the dynamic that had been well established in our relationship, um, he would give his cash to me each fortnight towards the bills but this, even though it was a joint loan in both of our names, where the payments came out of, was my bank account, not his. Yeah. And this was very critical when things ended between us because um, in that final year, well, I actually thought his behaviour had significantly changed and, in fact, we're in a really good and healthy dynamic and, in fact, it was at a point, you know, that um, I was mid-30s, he was now over 30 and I put it to him, look, I. don't want to wait too much longer before starting to try for a a family. Um, Now that you're that bit older, do you feel ready? And he'd said yes. So, um, And he was also talking about, the no, we should get married. And so he was giving me all the signs that it was like, right, no, he's not needing to go off and have all these big party weekends anymore. He actually wants to commit to a future, um, commit to having a child, And so I'm actually feeling the most secure I have for a very long time. And so I went off the pill and around about that time, that's when my grandmother passed away and he came to the funeral. I actually now really wish he never had um, because at that funeral, he was openly talking to my family members, some he hadn't even met yet, but. And I want to make this really clear too, my family, the ones who had got to know him through that six and a half years, they they treated him like gold. He was like a son. He was like a brother. He, to my little brother, he was like his best mate and he looked up to him. Um, he was embraced by my family, whereas how I was treated by his family and friends is I was treated like scum by them and they did not accept me. Um, they thought I was the worst person in the world and they treated me like that. Um, So he's going to a place where he's fully accepted and loved and he's telling my family members on this very significant occasion and he's known my gran over the years. So he knew what what an important occasion that day was and talking about the future we would have together. What I now know is that he already had organised a place he was moving into a week later with the woman he was having an affair with. Um, so that week, he'd actually formally proposed to me. Yeah, And so here I am thinking, uh, he's been, he's changed his behaviours, he's settling down, I'm off the pill. Um, and he's helping me through the grief of losing this, you know, very special woman in my life. Um, and. <laughs> This Monday, the day that he ended up leaving me, it was like the night before, like he had been away for one of his three-day benders. But I didn't mind this one because it was one of these guys he'd grown up with was returning to Ireland. And so I thought, oh, he's going off to do the last hurrah with this guy, let them go and do their thing. Yeah. Um. And so when he got back on the on the Sunday evening, like he was very much, oh, I love you so much. Next day... um. I get home in the evening from work and he's packed up all these things into his work van. He goes to me, "Um, I'm leaving you. Um, Don't follow me. And I'm like so blindsided because like a couple of weeks ago you were proposing to me and not so long before that you're saying that you're ready for me to, you know, think about like going off the pill. Yeah. Yeah. and you're just giving me every indication that you're happy in this relationship, and all of a sudden you're walking out the door. I was just in a complete state of shock. Um, and like, this was all planned. His family all knew that he was doing this. Um, he, you know, left and he blocked me on all forms of communication straight away. I didn't. His um, when I asked what's going on, he's like, "Oh, I just want to be single." Um, it just all made no sense at the time and I just wish to this day he'd just had the you know, the guts to have the honesty to just say he had been in this other relationship because, yes, it would have hurt to hear that but it would have made sense to me because the way he went about it made no sense. No sense, yeah. And honestly the just the impact in that moment for me I just remember sitting on my lounge room floor and I'm like cuddling my um dog at the time it was Mickey um and he loved Mickey and I'm thinking you're not just leaving me you're leaving Mickey as well um and I'm just distraught and I'm ringing lifeline just going this has just happened I just I just can't see a point of going on but then I'm cuddling Mickey and going you know what I can't do anything to myself because who will look after her yeah so like she has in so many times and also now Zena, my beautiful fluffy warrior um yeah my my beautiful dog saved me in that moment and so yeah I, I was just in an absolute state of shock for um that that week um just, you know, like almost catatonic sort of state of shock um, until, you know, he came that weekend later and yet again he was really trying to say that, no, he's just wanting a bit of a break and a bit of single time and I'm thinking, oh, you know, okay, we'll go off and do that. But he wasn't giving me any indication that it, like at that point, was there wasn't a possibility to reconnect. In fact, the way that he was sort of saying, like setting it up as if we would be able to get back together, and he just needed some time out. And I thought, okay, fair enough. Even though this is really hard, I can accept that. Yeah. Um, but what I know now is he was just stringing me along, essentially, so that he could keep all his items stored in my place, the ones he hadn't taken, um, and for whatever bullshit reasons that you would do that to someone rather than being honest. So for the next couple of months, here's me thinking I'll just ride out this blip of whatever's going on with him emotionally and we'll be able to pick up and sort of really work on what's going on. And um so it was about a month later that I discovered that I was pregnant. At this stage I don't know that he's been having an affair. Yeah. <sighs> And obviously, no, I was really happy to find out that I'd finally fallen pregnant for the first time in my life, but I was feeling. The emotion of everything that was going on was so deep. But also my mum decided to go off her medication at this moment so she'd become very unwell. So I'm supporting mum becoming very unwell. I've got an elderly family member in intensive care who potentially was at risk of passing away. My grandmother who had meant everything to me had just passed and I was still grieving for her. I've had him walk out and leave me absolutely in the shit. I've got this massive debt that he is refusing to pay a cent towards. And um, and now it's like, okay, hello, child, this, yeah. is, this is happening. Um, but in at that point I was like, right, I can't actually tell him this because I don't want him to make a decision about wanting to be with me based on the child. I want him to make a decision about wanting to be with me based on me. Yeah. So I, I, at that point I didn't actually tell him. Um, and then it just happened to be that um, one of my friends tipped me off to this woman um, and sent me this image which was her profile picture with him kissing her wearing a shirt that I'd chosen for him earlier that year. And that's how I learnt that she existed and now initially I'm thinking, well, God, he's moved very quickly Um, and then I was to learn further information about this already being existing relationship that was in place before he ended it with me, in fact, that he'd moved in with her. Um, And I was just absolutely and utterly devastated. Yeah. And this was the point where the stress of all this actually caused me to have a miscarriage of, you know, what I now know was my baby daughter.
2: Yes. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And it's like, if, if he couldn't have already taken enough, you know, and this glimmer of hope and this glimmer of, you know, amazingness in your life to be a mother is something that you dreamed of your whole life. Um, I'm so sorry for your loss.
3: Yeah. Well, I I guess in my mind at this point, no, I'd realised, yes, this relationship is over. He is a massive fucking douchebag. Um, <laughs> yeah. Absolute yeah. massive fuckwit. <laughs> what a fuckwit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, this was a child that was conceived in love and it's been my opinion and I'm actually very, very much pro-choice. I think it's really important that women have um, the right to make decisions about their own body and ultimately, no, no one can know what they do until they're in that situation. But I'd always thought, look, if it had come from a position of me being a pregnancy resulting from rape, that potentially, you no, know, that's a circumstance I would consider needing to get an abortion. But I'd always said to myself, if a child is conceived in love, I would always want to keep that child. And this was this circumstance. And even though I'd spent seven years working at Centrelink assisting single parents and, and knew, even though I wasn't a parent myself, that it's, it's not a cakewalk. It's not easy to take on that challenge. But I would have entered that challenge and embraced being a single mother because this is something I really wanted and to be a mum. How old
0: up?
4: definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC.
1: And 365 day returns.
3: Despite all the challenges that were facing me at that moment. And so, this period of my life um, during that and the next couple of years became what my team leader at the time gave the very beautiful title that I still like to refer to that period as the tsunami of shit. It was just the perfect description because it was just like one wave after another, after another, just kept hitting me even when I thought I'd walked up the hill and got to myself to a position of safety another wave would come and knock me over at the knees and um, so it got to just before Christmas of that um, 2016 and he still doesn't know that I've been pregnant he doesn't know that I've had a miscarriage Um, but what I decided I needed to go into the new year so of 2017 releasing a lot of the Negative emotion for myself. So, what I knew is his birthdays in early December. Um, I found out through um, some of my friends in the Irish community, he told me that his grandfather had passed in Ireland. Now, a couple of years earlier, we'd gone over and spent like, that's a whole other episode in itself, the horrific Irish Christmas, um, where I got to see intergenerational family violence and alcohol abuse play out right in front of me and it was just one of the most horrific experiences of my life that Christmas but one of the nice moments of that time was that um I got a beautiful photo of his mum and his granddad and him together at his granddad's house and I knew he didn't have a copy of this photo and I'm not a malicious person and whilst he caused me a lot of hurt and harm and still does um I was choosing to remember that we'd also had many moments of love and happiness together. So in my mind I am like, right, I can't hold on to this hurt. I need to be able to move on in my life. So what can I do here is I'm going to get a copy of that photo. I'm also going to get a copy of a beautiful photo of him with my dog that he'd loved. I'm going to put them in some frames. I'm going to write him a letter and because I hadn't told anyone about the baby at this point because I I was very much of a perspective that he, despite everything he'd done to me, he had a right to be the person who found out first. But mm-hmm. I also at this stage really needed to start talking to people about it. Yeah. Um, so the, the basically the gist of the letter was to say, look, happy birthday. I know things have ended with us. You've moved on. Um, I'm really sad things have ended the way that they have. I want you to let you know that I discovered I was pregnant after you walked out and unfortunately I miscarried the baby. Um, That this is the name I gave her. I called her Brianna May. And that I know that's a name that you always wanted to give to a daughter. Yeah. So that was in honour of that wish. And, but I wanted you to be the first person to know so that because I need to talk to people. Um, So I put all that there and I said, look, and I've recently been advised that your granddad has passed away. I'm so sorry to hear that's happened because I know that you won't have been able to get back to Ireland to attend the funeral. However, no, I I really want you to have the copy of that special photo of that moment when I took that when we were over in Ireland a couple of years ago. Um, and basically all the best with your life moving forward. I don't want to hold on to any um, negative emotion. So what was his response to receiving that parcel? Any acknowledgement of the disclosure I've just made about him having become a father and having lost his child? No. What I got was a legal letter via email from st kilda legal service where he was seeking to go after my superannuation and i had to then go and get legal advice myself um and despite the debt that he'd left me and the advice that i got was that um one the way that the whole document was worded was that i had to provide X, Y and Z documents within seven days to the St Kilda Legal Service Um, but the fact is it wasn't a court order and you know if I hadn't challenged that if I like so many because it's such an intimidating way it was written so many people would just hand over the documents but I'm no, and this is the quandary so many find themselves in who have gone through family violence. I was working full-time, but I couldn't afford a private lawyer. And because I'm working full-time, I didn't qualify for legal aid. So here am I going to a community legal service as well in Fitzroy, and I'm being told, um, yes, he's left you in this debt, but because you've been working since you're 18 and have X amount as your superannuation balance, and he's only been in the country for you know, about 10 years at that stage and only has this amount as a superannuation balance, that based on family law, for the amount of super that you've accrued throughout the relationship, he's entitled to a superannuation split of that amount. Fuck off. No, fuck what off. The
2: fuck, and I'm, how the hell can that be? Oh my god. Like how can that be that you could even get that letter? That is absolutely fucking ridiculous. He wasn't earning the money because he wasn't legally able to work. Well, the fact
3: thing. was that it uh, like it really shocked me because it came via email. Like oh and my I was god. at work when that email popped up and I'm thinking this is ridiculous that they've served it this way. It should be via post. I later actually got in touch with St Kilda Legal Service and said, this is disgusting that you serve this via email. Um, Disgusting. But essentially the gist of it all was that um, what happened from there was they said to me, well, regardless of the debt amount because of your superannuation balance, he would not have to pay you towards the debt, even though it's in joint names. And, in fact, he would come out with a cut of your super. Um, and so they said you don't have to respond to that legal letter from St Kilda Legal Service only when you get a court order. So they said the best thing you can do is you have two years um, of where he can take action under family law and make claim on your assets. so they said the best thing is to not be in any communication with him whatsoever and just hope that he doesn't proceed with this um, and in two years time around the debt um, you can then pursue him under civil law um, because that's you know a different way of um, being able to approach it but right now you'd be too much at risk to go down that path. Um, so, I was in a state of absolute shock and devastation when I left that legal appointment because I'm thinking, one, I'm working in superannuation. I'm working to address the gender super gap and pay gaps right now. And the one actual asset I have left in my life, they're saying that he can get some of that. Um, No way on earth am I going to let that happen. Um, And then the other part is, I just want this period of my life to be done and dusted and over with. And you're saying I have to carry this trauma and burden for another two years, two years. before I can get some closure. Um, That's just it's. It, it,
2: I am absolutely speechless. Like if you could, I know that this podcast is a an audio medium. If you could see my face, I'm absolutely and utterly. Speechless. That is just the most horrific. It really is a fucking tsunami of shit. Like you've done this kind and nice thing after everything he's done to you, disclosing your loss, disclosing everything, and trying to put kindness out there to move on and put yourself into a position that you can happily move forward and you receive that crap back. That he's going to try and take your money full while knowing that he's not contributing to the debt that you accumulated in a joint account that he won't help. Like I don't understand. Like I've worked in local and state government for a very long time now. Majority of my working career I have. And a common theme that I've said through the whole thing is I don't understand why there is not a common sense clause. How can you possibly have access to your super if you have a joint debt that is now somehow only your responsibility to pay? Like how does that work? I just can't believe it. And I'm so sorry because, like, I mean, I already knew how much of a heroine and an incredible woman you are, like how much of a warrior woman you are and how much you've overcome. But that is just, I can't believe it. And and, and to Imagine that that's for somebody else as well that's, yeah. That's not well hearsed in this this situation, that English isn't their first language, that's a minority woman, um, Mm. an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander woman, a woman of colour. Like, these barriers, not only would they have accumulated less than you and I, but these barriers would be so much greater. Like, it's just...
3: And I was working in the finance system at the time and, and this is the thing too, that legal appointment came after I'd already had conversations with the bank where the loan was at to say, look, this has happened, this is um, a financial abuse situation after years of you know, a family violence from this person, what can you do to support me? I'm in a hardship situation and the bank's response initially and for the next three years was very minimal um that like as things stood at that point um and thankfully i can say that now things are changing with the different um things that the australian banking association um and other parties are being brought into place to actually make um this a better system but as things stood at that time is that it doesn't matter if you in a joint loan situation and this is an unsecured loan so it's not with a mortgage or something some asset attached so like you're looking at say a credit card or a joint personal loan other unsecured loans um, that with this that the bank doesn't really actually care where they get the money from as long as they're getting the money so even though you've got two parties that have signed a contract say they're having equal responsibility for this thing. It's a legal contract they've signed off on. Effectively, really there's only one person who's responsible. It's the person who they're getting the money from. So because it was coming out of my bank account, when I said, well, can't you just split and take half out of his bank account? You've got an account for him there. Oh, no, we would need his um, approval for that. Well, I said to him, he's not going to give that. Um, And I said, well this is something that we have jointly committed to and i couldn't even think about the other 20,000 dollars worth of debt which wasn't in a joint name because i knew i wouldn't be able to press a bank about that because those were things that had been racked up in my name and i thought at least i could get something happening with this joint one and unfortunately the two options they gave me at the time were just not options at all like so the first one was oh well we'd only pursue him if you stop paying I said, but if I stop paying, then that affects my credit rating Um, and why should I actually, you know, stuff up my financial future by doing that? And then they said, okay, so the next option, because I was saying this is extreme financial hardship, this is causing me, they're like, well, you could declare bankruptcy. And I said, well, no, I can't. Because I'm working in the finance sector and in the finance sector, you can't be a declared bankrupt to work. And I said, how is that in any way a solution? Because if you take my way, my capacity to do my job, I can't actually service any way of living. And so then knowing this, knowing that essentially the bank's given me zero solution and support, um, I've got then that legal appointment, which I've come out finding out what I did, Um <laughs> Then what happened in early 2017 was just basically the icing on the very shitty cake because the woman who he was having the affair with, um, and I'm thinking yet again it must be that she must have read that letter, which was in no way, no, bad about her. Um, I don't know. I can't explain why she did what she did, but she went and made um, a heap of malicious allegations to my employer at the time who decided to side with her, even though there was no evidence. Um, And it was in a situation where I then had to uh, make the decision to resign. Otherwise, my job would have been terminated. Now, at the time, the union, because I got them involved, um, they said it was a clear case of unfair dismissal. however that i would have to allow myself to be terminated for them to go through arbitration and fight it and after everything i'd gone through in that 6 months and then for them to tell me it could take another 6 months to face arbitration i just said no i'd rather just resign i don't want a termination on my record i just want to get on with my life and put all this awful time behind me um
2: But it's another aspect of financial abuse because if you are terminated, you're not entitled to half of the things that you're entitled to if you resign as well. So it's like, hey, put yourself in this shitty financial situation and then maybe we'll help you. Hey, if you've been forced to resign from a role, how does – common sense, guys. I just – I can't – it's just – it's not one person You've just been failed so many times by shitty systems that are designed for the patriarchy – They're designed to support men.
3: That's what a moment was one of the rock bottom moments for me because I genuinely loved that job. I'd worked there for a couple of years. I got along so well with my colleagues. I'd never had any issues there. Um, And and I know that they just did what they had to do because they were just wanting, they're in um, risk management mode. Um, So... to to go through everything I'd gone through and basically to have my means of supporting myself withdrawn from me, I honestly was extremely suicidal after that happened. And it was a point in my life where family and um, even that workplace were sending police around to my house to do welfare checks because I wasn't in a good place at that point, as you can probably imagine. But Mm -hmm. The comeback story of this is that, and I'd never say this to him directly, but you know what? I think if I hadn't, the set of circumstances that happened at that moment didn't happen. I possibly would still be at that workplace probably doing a similar sort of role, maybe in the same role. Yeah. And having that adversity happen actually caused me to hit that sort of really, really awful low point and completely reassess every single part of my life. And so that was 2017, and 2017 is the beginning of me coming back out of the ashes.
2: And you have you're <laughs> like a phoenix, you've been reborn from shit. Like <laughs> and this is come back. and you are, you're a fucking heroine. Like I I look up to you so much and you've gone through everything and you use your voice and your experience to advocate for other people so that they don't have to go through what you went through. There is so much work for us to do, and I can't commend you enough for your strength and what you've done and what you've had to overcome in situations that could have been done so much better.
3: Yeah, and so it was the most difficult period of my life, but from that most difficult period, I've actually... And I wouldn't have even said that I wasn't a strong person before that because I was because of everything, but it's made me who I am now and I am so proud of everything I've achieved in the last few years and where I'm at at this point and what that's also been very much I want to give credit to. My tribe of warrior women who surround me, my amazing i call them my friend they're the leaders of and CEOs of community sector organizations who've taken me under their wing who've redirected my energy from being in that state of complete and utter trauma and given me a seat at the table um, and invited me to be part of different things and helped me make the transition. From being seen as a volunteer in this space to being seen as a professional and a consultant, and helping me to set up my consulting business and learning all the ins and outs of how to do simple things like invoicing that I had no idea about, and actually placing a value on my time. And so the role that these amazing women have played has been transformative. I would have never seen myself aspiring for leadership roles any time up to that point. Um, and now, whilst I don't ever have any sort of desire to be like a a manager as such, managing people's not really my but I see the the things that I do in the advocacy space is you know showing my own form of leadership. And now I'm at a point in my journey where the amount of time and generosity that people have invested in me to help me transform to where I am now. I now want to actually pay that forward for others who are trying to find their voices in this space. Um, so that's where I've I, I feel so much gratitude um, that I could have very easily no longer been here on this earth right now, but because people surrounded and embraced me and picked me back up from where I was. Um, And turn me in the direction of saying you have a purpose in this life and you have a worth in this life. Yeah. And that's why I'm talking to you today. Yeah.
2: And I think, you know, obviously it still hits hard, but I think the incredible story at the end of this is you have done so much for law for reform, you know, giving evidence in the Royal Commission into Family Violence, um, making changes in the way that things are done in the system, supporting survivors through that, openly speaking about this. I I don't doubt for any second that somebody's going to listen to this and resonate with the experience that you've had and that might help somebody get to a point where they leave out of the abuse. That might get somebody to a point that helps them in their life in some way and I think that you continue to to stand through and to not only withstand but actually thrive out of the adversity that you've gone through. And I can't commend you enough. I think you're one of the most incredible women I've ever had the pleasure of speaking to and meeting, and I just I just can't commend you enough. I think you're incredible.
3: Thank you, and I think that about you too and just how you've created this podcast as an outlet and a way for you to speak your truth and allow others to have a platform to speak theirs and be a a creative outlet for you. One of the things um, that this journey has done for me, and yet again, that year of 2017, where the crossroads of my life saw me actually go down to walk the way I am now, one of the things that happened during that time is that I'd always, growing up, loved creative writing. But as you can imagine, as you've heard now throughout um, the times of recording these three episodes, is that in my adult life, I've just had so much going on that to be honest, it's felt like there's been this brick wall at times when I've wanted to actually sit down and do creative writing. Now, in early 2017, um, I just happened to be watching this movie called A Light Between Oceans. And in terms of it's also based on a book and it's the themes of this beautiful movie um, focus on this woman and her husband who live on an island um, off the coast of West Australia where they're, they're the lighthouse keepers and this woman has a number of miscarriages and then this baby comes up onto the shore in a boat. I'm not going to go into the whole movie but basically what I watched it and the effect of this movie and everything that that triggered it actually turned the tap back on for writing for me. And the island in the movie was called Janus Island, which is based on the the Greek um, figure, um, the the god Janus, who um, has the two faces looking both ways. And so that for me actually opened the door to me actually starting writing for the first time again, and this is the poem I wrote in half an hour after um, I watched the movie, and it's called Tears of Janus, and Tears of Janus is about the grief and loss of losing my baby and from healing from this relationship. So I'm going to read that out to you. Yeah, okay. I watched the raindrops create patterns on the window Tears flow down my face with a gentle silent synchronicity. They add to the river I've already cried and I feel myself trapped in its murky swirling waters. I see my tear-stained face reflected in the window, but I know that I am invincible to those outside. Those people who are combating the grey dreary weather with bright clothing and who walk by in groups chatting cheerfully on their way to somewhere. I've never felt so alone. Sick of the lies, betrayals and pathetic excuses, I feel like I've become a prisoner of this fortress of solitude. I sit frozen in a state of depressed aggravation. I can feel the black fog creeping in with its sly cunning from underneath the doors and threatening to envelop me. It's like a menacing shadow creeping behind me like a cartoon villain waiting to pounce. I feel as if I'm repeatedly repeatedly going through the grief and loss cycle like I'm stuck in a washing machine from hell. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance equals wash, rinse, repeat in this Hieronymus Bosch-like nightmare. I need to get off this hamster wheel. Not a theatrical exit stage left, but instead I yearn for that feeling of release and letting go like when you slip gently under the bathwater for a few moments and feel the comfort of the liquid warm embrace floating in a sound distorted state of mindfulness which will hopefully wake me from this stupor. I feel like I'm wearing the two faces of Janus, forever looking forwards and backwards. Frustratingly, I'm stuck in the middle with me. Disambiguation has become a goal. I question everything and can trust nothing. I can't seem to find my centre. The tsunami of shit has left me feeling so destabilised and ripped apart. I seek desperately for an anchor but none is forthcoming. My thoughts go to him and the baby we lost. In my mind I'm at the top of a mountain on my knees screaming why to the ominous sky. In reality, I'm paralysed in this moment watching the rain on the window and feeling the tears on my face. Lost dreams, lost hope and a total sense of emptiness and being drained of the essence of me. Who am I anymore? I know I'm not who I was. The pain has moulded me into something else. Raw, vulnerable, numb and heartbroken but more fierce than ever. I feel stuck in this stagnant pool of inertia. I know I need to get out and scrape together the broken pieces of my soul to reignite the spark of passion for life to drive myself forward. Has anyone got a box of matches? Thank you
2: so much, Kathy. That was absolutely incredible. Um, thank you so much for sitting with me and sharing with me this story, part three, and for going through on this journey. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I'm so grateful to have met you and, and to have you on. I think, you know, I thank it. Thank, I'm thankful every day that I've got you in my life as a support for me. Um, we've both leaned on each other at times for support um, during our own healing journeys. Um, if somebody wants to reach out and connect with you, um, you are a consultant as well, so you do do professional talks and speaks throughout Australia. Um, how can people get in contact and reach you?
3: So the best place to reach me is via LinkedIn. So that's just under my name, Kathy Oddy, and I'm sure there'll be the links to um, those pages where this is posted. Also, I'm on Instagram and Facebook under my name. Um, So, yeah, just contact me, send me a a private message and I'm more than happy to assist with any of your events, speaking engagements, consultations, um, Yeah, so I guess – to fin- finish this um recording today is just to reinforce for anyone out there who's currently experiencing issues such as what we've discussed or know someone who's gone through these types of things or is going through these types of things that you don't have to go through this alone there is help out there um 1800 respect um is australia's um national rape and family violence um contact service for assistance however if you're in another country and listening to this um You just would need to Google um, sort of national rape and domestic violence crisis services and there is something um, that's available in pretty much every country around the world out there to help you. So don't suffer alone. Reach out for help um, because, you know, this is, it's too much to deal with by yourself.
2: Absolutely. And I'll, I'll share every link as well on my social media, which is at reclaim me pod or at mad heat underscore, which is my personal account. Um, I'll post everything with all of the links and remember, please seek help. If you do need to help is out there. Um, I've created the Survivor Support Network on Facebook too, which you can access via the link in both of the bios of my Instagram pages, um, and that's been a really great space for other people that are survivors to connect to. So you are not alone for sure, um, and I think Cathy is a really good be- beacon of light for hope, you know, at the, the depths of depression, at the depths of of when things start to tumble. Cathy's um, turned this around to Become such a heroine. Um, not that it's not hard, obviously, and not that it's it's not without trying, and not that it just stays up there all of the time either. But I think it's a great example of the fact that um while abuse is a part of our life, it does not define us, and that there is so much life after abuse.
3: Absolutely. Well, it's been lovely talking with you again, and um I wish you all the best with your future recordings and um, yeah, hopefully we'll get to catch
2: up soon. Absolutely. I'm definitely taking you out for a cocktail soon. <laughs>
3: Fantastic.
2: <Need> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cathy. Thank
3: you.
2: This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on one three one 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 four. 14. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode.